Hello and welcome back to The Stakes After Dark. It is almost midnight on Monday in New York City and we are technically now more than halfway to surviving the 2016 presidential nominating conventions. Look, we're clinging to floating shards of hope wherever we can find them here. Joining me in our New York studio to throw up our hands and demand to speak to some grown-ups, our DC correspondent, the glorious Jane Coaston. Hi, Jane. Hello, Holly. How are you? Jane, I'm tired. I'm cranky. I need a nap. I know you feel the same. I do. If it sounds as though we need a nap, gentle listeners, it's because we've spent the past, what, eight hours listening to a bunch of presumed adults who could really use one themselves, along with juice boxes and binkies and other accoutrements of children who must be soothed. Who knew that hearing apparently two people yelling Warhawk repeatedly would not fill me with good thoughts? Shout out to the University of Louisiana Monroe, well represented on the floor in Wells Fargo and Philly tonight. So let's roll right into talking about things that were bad in Philly tonight, ways in which the Democratic National Convention did not provide relief from the week-long radiation poisoning that was sitting through the entire RNC. You want to kick things off with the Mountain Dew thing from Chris Larson? I thought that was a great moment. Well, Iowa delegate Chris Larson said in an interview, Bernie basically fed us a bunch of Mountain Dew and now he wants us to go to bed. It's not going to happen. See, there are two points here. One, that is a great analogy because you do not give anyone a bunch of Mountain Dew and then send them to bed. But two, the implication is that this isn't about Bernie at all. This has nothing to do with him, which I think is borne out by the fact that when Bernie spoke earlier today, he was booed repeatedly for asking people to vote for Hillary Clinton, which is a problem. And uh, yeah, I think that that is something that we saw throughout tonight, though fortunately after about an hour of consistent random booing, it started to lessen as it clearly more people started to recognize that maybe booing repeatedly wasn't really the best way to get out any message at all. Uh, especially early on uh, when the list of speakers ran to uh, older black folks and you had a bunch of younger white folks booing them from the convention floor, which is maybe not the best way to go about convincing people that you're disadvantaged. Especially uh, people like Ohio Representative Marsha Fudge, who looked like she was about to give some people some hands. Jane, is Marsha Fudge having any of our shit? Oh, no. Oh, no. As I said earlier on Twitter, Marsha Fudge had the same look that my now late grandmother once had when I I told her that she wasn't the boss of me. She was. Jane, how'd that work out for you? Not well. Not well. It did not go well. There is... There's a lesson we learned, I believe, from the first, what, two hours of this convention, and it was that maybe elderly black people are not the people to cross or trifle with, Mm -hmm. which I thought was a lesson that I learned about 25 years ago, but um, apparently it's new for some. My favorite part of the protests after that embarrassing cacophony died down were the anti-TPP signs being held up by a lot of people who maybe not super aware that both Hillary and Bernie are at least nominally against the TPP? Yeah. Yeah, that seemed to be... Also... Like, pick your your lanes, is what I'm saying. That 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 maybe was a lane that veered around the convention. 
It's a message that it's a metaphor that was brought up a couple of times by people on stage tonight. You know, there was a lot of this is what democracy looks like and democracy is messy. You know, this is what families do and we fight. But one way in which this was like a family reunion that didn't get brought up on stage is that this is a family. The people in this room are much closer aligned in their politics than, say, Donald Trump and Ted Cruz factions. And we can say this because we don't know what any of Donald Trump's policy planks are, lest we forget. But the other thing about families is they really know how to hurt each other. Yeah. Yeah, this was definitely the sibling fight that results in someone not talking to you for six months and not so much the Ted Cruz-Donald Trump fight, which was sort of like two businessmen meeting and then immediately hating each other. This also led to moments of pure ridiculosity, like the signs just being held up that read emails. Yes. And we're like, honest to God, with Hillary Clinton's emails, with Democratic emails at this point in the convention cycle, you have to be more specific. Indeed. And... uh. Also earlier today, there were multiple interviews with Sanders supporters who apparently planned to vote to vote Trump, which led to one of my favorite tweets of the day from Damian Owens. I hear you, Sanders supporters who plan to vote Trump. One time I asked for Coke, but they only had Pepsi, so I set fire to my head. Jane, compared to this time in, oh, say, the 2008 election cycle, where are we in Bernie supporters vowing never to vote for Hillary as far as we were Hillary supporters vowing never to vote for Obama? Well, Holly, it turns out that Sanders supporters, apparently not the ones in Philadelphia slash the ones that were near live microphones, are far more likely to support Hillary than Hillary supporters were to support Obama in 2008. Uh, But those people don't make good television. No, they don't. And those people probably aren't willing to get to Philadelphia to yell about something. Yeah. And, well, my other favorite thing about tonight was those yells that we did hear were oftentimes the result of individual people standing near what seemed to be really conveniently placed mics for protesters. Like, I recognize that we want to be accommodating to all people, but it's like they handed every protester their own shitty microphone and was like, here yell things that don't even rhyme. My favorite part of that was that there was one person who chanted, we trusted you at Elizabeth Warren, which would have been much more effective if it wouldn't have just sounded like one person trying to start a jump, jump, jump chant at someone standing on the rim of a building. And then there was the one also person chanting Black Lives Matter during Cory Booker's speech. Cory Booker. Do they know? Should we tell them? I think someone should. Maybe maybe they couldn't see Cory Booker from where they were in the hall. Yes. Perhaps if they'd closed their eyes and not looked up who Cory Booker was. On the Jumbotron. They would have not seen that chanting Black Lives Matter during the speech of a black man might not might not be the best idea but jane, i don't kind know of, what kind of look is that jane it's not a good one it is not a good one mm. it is um and also like i'm not entirely sure what the message trying to be sent here is like yeah. is it i am not unwilling to look up and see who is speaking is it this person isn't adequately speaking to this particular issue despite the fact that the protester's voice had the distinct sound of someone who is probably busy registering for classes for some you know his university of vermont bachelor's degree and it just i don't know the whole thing just slam at the university of vermont out of nowhere well if you can't make the ncaa tournament are you really a school 
Go Duke. <laughs> oh, let's move on. Let's move on to the actual politics of the night. Um, let's get something else dumb out of the way while we're just listing off dumb things. Can we talk about the unity compromise? Which walks first, I mean, I'm going to have you explain what the uni- unity compromise actually is, but can we talk about the part where it walks this amazing line of being both boring and ominous? Yeah, and the unity compromise seemed to be largely focused on caucuses and superdelegates, both of which are reasons that the Bernie Sanders people have pointed to as to why Bernie Sanders did not win. Perhaps ignoring the fact that Bernie Sanders didn't do so great in black states, but that's a side note. So basically, they want to reduce the number of superdelegates by two-thirds and then also in, um, also lead to some changes with how caucuses work in different states, whether they're open or closed. The issue is that superdelegates don't really have the impact that it appears Bernie Sanders's team thinks they do, despite the fact that Bernie Sanders is a superdelegate. Superdelegates include party officials, elected officials, every Democratic member of Congress, and all sitting Democratic governors. And they basically exist so that party leaders can have a say in who their candidate is. They were first devised after the 1968 and 1972 conventions, which, if you know anything about Democratic Party history, did not go well for the Democrats. No, no, not great. And so they wanted to make sure that everyone could have a voice in choosing who the delegate would be, including leaders of the party. And they make up just 15% of the voting delegates. And historically, superdelegates have only been close to deciding who the nominee is once. And usually they vote in line with the will of the majority. But I think superdelegates as a concept, that sounds bad. And people don't like it. Uh, If you're interested in further reading on this, our own Jamie Fuller uh, wrote a piece that I believe was titled, What the Hell is a Superdelegate? earlier in this election cycle. But speaking of things that have powers placed upon them by popular opinion that may not actually exist, can we talk about, before we put this to bed forever, I hope, crossing my fingers for the next three days, that the idea that this election was rigged by the DNC for Hillary. Now, there are a lot of reasons to think this. There are a lot of reasons to dislike Hillary as a candidate. You know, there are a lot of things about her politics that may make you squicky. Uh, but they lose me very early on in this argument at the notion that the DNC could pull off a conspiracy. Yeah. Because that would require the DNC pulling off literally anything. Well... That also implies and goes to a concept that a lot of people seem to believe the Democratic National Committee has a lot more power than it actually has, which if it had the power that people believe it to have, Democrats would not have lost more than 900 state legislature seats, 12 governors, 69 House seats, and 13 Senate seats. That is not an example of a powerful party. That is an example of cluster fuckitude and that is not something that's not good you i mean you want a party to be not that right but it also makes them a really bad convenient supervillain right right it would be as if your supervillain were the person who really had trouble walking up and down stairs the dnc is a lot of things but one of the things it is not in this case is a fall guy the dnc is a shitty scapegoat like you guys got to stop with this. Whatever you believe regarding the party, 
it's not powerful enough to apparently win a state legislature seat in a blue state. So it's probably not powerful enough to swing a presidential election. Yeah, when in doubt, always come down erring on disbelieving in the general competence of organizational people. Indeed. Okay, that's we've had like three not great Jane, not great Holly moments. Let's turn around and talk about things we liked. Uh, going right back to the list of speakers that were trotted out tonight. Tonight was stacked and... You know, there were a lot of party luminaries there. We had Cory Booker. We had Elizabeth Warren. We had Michelle Obama, who we will be talking about in detail very, very soon. Uh, you know, we had Bernie himself. But let's go back to the very beginning and Marsha Fudge, who arrested the room with this, you know, that that look that Jane, you know, you and I both grew up with a lot of Catholic ladies in our lives. And uh there's this flat-eyed, sharky, thousand-yard stare that is unique to, I think, several types of people, nuns, uh, librarians. Uh, if you had female school bus drivers uh, in elementary school when you were a kid, they, they, as I recall, were pretty great at this. And Marsha Fudge had that look where her eyebrows are raised just a couple of millimeters, and you know that if those eyebrows go one millimeter higher on her face because of your actions, that it is your ass. And she brought that convention to a standstill emotionally. She did. I think the the DNC did a great job of leading out the convention with a series of people who were not and could not take your shit. And I think that, you know, we saw an example just in, you know, before 9 p.m., there were more, there was more minority representation and more LGBT voices than you heard in the entirety of the RNC. And you heard the, it was just, I mean, one of the things, you know, I mentioned earlier that this felt kind of like a family wedding that had just somehow gone a little bit wrong was the fact that people were talking about things where it was like, oh, I, you know, I care about these issues. I care about, you know, marriage equality and trans rights. I care about racial inequality. These are things that I'm, I'm on board with. I get this. Mm. And so I think that Having being able to kind of walk the talk, so to speak, by having speakers from across the country who kind of represented what this party wants to stand up for and especially being willing to stand against Donald Trump. I think that worked well. Yeah. And in addition to the wide diversity of voices we saw tonight, there was also a diversity of issues that we didn't see last week. Um, I was particularly encouraged by uh, substance abuse, the opioid epidemic being mentioned on the convention stage on night one. Demi Lovato came out right after that and gave a really very simple but very eloquent, although I thought it was a little bit short, uh, statement on the need to reform the American mental health care system. And it was short because it turned out that she was launching right into a musical number after that, that she was a speaker and also a musical guest. So she was basically her own vocal introduction. And it was a very jarring transition in the moment because she did not announce that she was going to sing now. You know, she came out and she talked and you're like, oh, wow, you know, Demi Lovato, who if you don't know, a lot of our MTV audience does. Uh, she is a very staunch mental health advocate. And she's been very open, you know, about her own struggles. Uh, you know, she conducts workshops when she's on tour with kids to talk to them about mental health issues. And but then she goes right into a song with no transition, like the lights change and the music comes up. And it planted in me this ardent and ultimately unfulfilled wish 
that all convention speakers have the opportunity to follow up their speeches with a musical number of their choice, and they don't have to tell us in advance. Right. And speaking of music... The band! The band! The band! There was not enough band time, but... Not enough band screen time, which is to say none. Yeah, there was no screen time, but compared to the G.E. Smith band, which... God love the G.E. Smith band. They they, they worked as Giving hard as they could. Giving hope to middle school science teachers everywhere. But the DNC house band appeared to be like, if you had a pretty okay late night show, like if the USA Network had its own late night show, this would be the its house band. They seemed to know every song and they were it was effective there was they played prince they played stevie they played real big fish and i'm sorry to both prince and stevie for dropping real big fish in at the end there but i'm just demonstrating range right uh it, they seem to have the range they had it yeah and uh i said this earlier tonight but it was like the rnc house band was like the stepdad who has kind of given up on his band and the DNC house band was like the stepdad who is still really trying to make his band happen. Like, don't get me wrong. They're the same genre of music, but I think it's clear that we are way ahead uh, from where we were at this point last week, at least in terms of audio aesthetics. Oh, yeah. By by far. I'm actually kind of looking forward to where they go over the next couple of days. Like, I hope we get to see them. We're going to get into some deep cuts at this point. Yeah, because they blew through. They have to have played, you know, the setup at the RNC, for those of you who were blessed enough to not be watching, was, you know, they speakers would talk and then the RNC house band would play an entire song and that there were, they were kind of set up on stage. There was a camera on them from C-SPAN. Uh, and the DNC house band was playing from sites unseen somewhere in some orchestra pit, but they must have played a couple dozen, like, little short segments of songs. They did. And they did a great job with it. It just proved that, you know, this was a band that knew about 15 seconds of, I would say, like, 30 different songs. Yeah. And uh, I think we can both agree, and I would assume everyone would agree, that the real highlight of the night was... Oh, the band was the high point of the night until... <sighs> Michelle Obama. <sighs> Michelle. She... Michelle, it's late. Can we call you Shelly? <sighs> we promise not to be disrespectful about it. I feel bad having done it already. I'm sorry, Mrs. Obama. The first lady... She took a crowd that was constantly, like, there was a, just a lot of, ta- you could hear talking on the microphones and the booing and the occasional chanting, and that stopped. Nope. Michelle Obama gave the speech of, I would guess, her life, the speech of it, what, I could not imagine anyone surpassing that tonight or likely tomorrow night. I mean, the this I'm not the first person to make this comparison tonight, but the comparison that comes most immediately to mind is her own husband in 04. Yeah. And I think that some people had thought like, oh, that, you know, that's what Cory Booker was going for. That may have been what he was going for, but that's what Michelle Obama reached. He was at an unfair disadvantage tonight by simply having to appear on the same bill with Michelle Obama as was everyone else on that list. Right. I felt the the fact that Elizabeth Warren had to follow that up was tough. She, but Michelle, it was such a tremendous speech. And especially after, you know, you and I have watched. Let's not, let's not do that math. A lot. A horrifying amount of the Republican National Convention. And that Michelle Obama's speech was like, manna from heaven in comparison and just like the salve to my soul that I think every I and a lot of other people needed I have goosebumps on my arms in the studio just thinking about this but it was you know she's a great orator of course and 
it was a great speech even before it got really real. Like it was, it was a great speech. It was, you know, it was very moving, hitting all the right notes. It was like a devastating minutes long subtweet of Donald Trump without ever actually mentioning his name, uh, without, she kind of skated over the fact that Melania had cribbed from her speech without ever mentioning that directly. And then, you know, you're laughing for all like the superficial reasons. And then she looks straight at the camera and she talks about waking up every morning in a house built by slaves and watching her daughters play with their dogs on the White House lawn where they live. That was just I it, just it was I can't I can't even. It was it was too much. You could have heard a Bernie Sanders button pin drop in our office. Agreed. And it just I mean, I think it spoke to the potential for democratic unity. And I think that she was also the first person I saw this commented that she was probably one of the first people. And I think so far the DNC has been better at this than the RNC was because the RNC was very anti-Hillary, not so much pro-Trump. And I think most of what we heard tonight was kind of 50-50. But I think Michelle did the best job of what we were doing this for, not what we were doing this against. She wanted to, you know, she talked about how she wanted to nominate Hillary Clinton for her children. She wanted to do this. You know, this is something that she, you know, she and her husband think so much about their children and what their needs are. And that's why they trust Hillary Clinton to be president to ensure their daughter's safety. That, it, you know, that was something that I think people could get behind. As framing kind of like, devices to this election go. Yeah. That's and that's fantastic. probably the first one that I've heard that wasn't just like, he's evil, he's fascist, mm-hmm. he's dangerous or something like that. Like, no, this is, you know, this is about the America that you want your children to be able to inherit. Well, the, the, the real magic of that argument is that it's an emotional appeal that's also at the same time coldly logical, which yeah. gives it real power. And so it's it's easy for me to say this right now. We haven't looked at the transcripts because we, you know, Bernie closed his speech, said thank you, good night, and we ran downstairs to the studio to hop in and record this. But I also don't remember Michelle doing a lot of equivocating the the same like oh you know we're we're fighting we're the democrats she didn't seem to give as much credence to the argument between bernie and hillary supporters as everybody else did and i thought that having one of the most powerful speakers on that docket just kind of gloss past it not as though it didn't matter but as though you know it's time for business only she didn't say it's time for business she just you know she showed by not telling right and i think that she was very effective in talking about how you know hillary lost in 2008 and she didn't become bitter and cynical and that she focused on you know that's when she you know she came back from that and i thought that that was an effective but not overbearing kind of take on the burning your bust people at just saying that you know yeah, like people lose primary elections. It does happen. But then you can come back from that. And I think that that was effective without being like harsh. It was just perfect. And I mean, we're obviously big fans of Michelle Obama, but even even by her standards, even by this administration's very high standards for oratory, this was a banger. Agreed. I mean, semantically, emotionally, you know, she was the hit of the night. In the order of the schedule, she was a warm-up act for Bernie, who... Jane, did Bernie Sanders endorse Hillary Clinton? Why, yes, he did. Are you sure? It took an estimated 20 minutes to get to it, but he did. He did indeed. So we're done with this now, right? 
is from your lips to God's ears. I'm just tired. God, you up? So, and I think that it was an important endorsement, but it also is interesting because now having watched multiple Bernie Sanders speeches, um, and I saw some kind of reaction to this, it's smart. He does this lead in of talking about what this fight is about. And I think that was important because I think if he had dropped like the vote for Hillary immediately, that people would have tuned him out. Right. And I think that, you know, it was also funny because I think that um, seeing people's reactions to Bernie with kind of weeping and gnashing of teeth, it was interesting because it, it reminded me that it's it's really difficult when you really, really believe in someone, a believe in a political figure, and then they don't win. And I think that with Bernie Sanders, I mean, I think of it, and I've started thinking about it the way I would have felt in 2008 if Obama would have lost to Hillary in the primary. Yeah. Like, imagining the reaction that I would have had, imagining the reaction that other people would have had, if that... 2008 convention would have been completely reversed. Yeah. And I think that that, I mean, that's really hard. Yeah. And I think that the fact that Bernie, you know, hypothetically, he could have done a Ted Cruz and just said, vote your conscience. All right, bye. Mm -hmm. But he didn't. He, in his Bernie Sanders way, that takes a very long time and sounds like he's just, you know, he's complaining about the fact that his library doesn't have a VHS tape of the 1996 Atlanta Olympics. He did it. He said his piece. Immense credit to him. And something you just said triggered something for me that I hadn't really thought about before, which is another disservice that this whole Bernie bro rancor has done is that these this vocal minority is covering up, I think, and kind of blasting over and drowning out the voices of people who, like you said, young people who have been involved in the political process for the first time and got their heart broken. I've been there. It was every election, I've every major election I voted in until Obama got elected. And it, it sucks. I hope the noise dies down after this, and that's my only hope. You know, we, we did a roundtable a few weeks ago about what where Bernie goes next, how he harnesses this energy. And I hope that tonight was not just about putting this to bed, but about keeping those people who he drew such passion out of fully engaged in this process. Like, I hope this doesn't make them quit. Right. And I think that that, I mean, that's going to be the question as to whether or not it's Bernie's ideas or Bernie Sanders that does it. Because I think that, you know, I talked, I mentioned this last week during the RNC, that it seemed very clear that Trump supporters, it's about Trump. Trump is not a conservative. Trump is not really a Republican, but people want him anyway. Even people who consider themselves to be staunch Republicans, staunch conservatives are Trump fans because of the personality, not because of the ideas. And I'm hoping that we get, we become more focused on ideas. We have three more days to find out. And that seems as good a place as any to wrap up. For me and Jane here in New York and from all of us at MTV News, thanks for listening. Stick with us for the rest of the DNC because as long as it's on, we're stuck here and you're stuck with us. That sounded sweeter in my head. This has been Stakes After Dark or Sad. Good night, Jane. Good night, Holly. 